11 years this year uh, that I have, since I've graduated high school. Yeah, I have gray hair, actually, and getting older. <laughs> and I try and pull it out. I try and avoid it. Uh, but uh, I remember 11 years ago when I uh, was ending the summer and I was about to go to school, all my friends actually, a bunch of my friends had come over to my house and they helped me pack up and we were talking about just the experiences that we had in high school and what it was going to be like to move to college and be away from each other. And we talked about what our friendships would look like and we, we told each other that we'd keep in touch and that we'd like be friends for forever, right? Uh, bros forever, bros for life. And it was actually a really special memory. The friends that were with me actually prayed for me before I headed out. It was like 2 in the morning and I was leaving at 6 a.m. with my family and they prayed for me and then we um, split and we went our separate ways and I had left for Chicago and I, uh, my life changed for forever from that point on. And uh, it, I think that a lot of freshmen in college experienced this, but this is what I experienced in college. I didn't know anybody. I, I didn't have a family there. I didn't have friends. And so and that was the case for most people there. And so we were all making friends with each other the first couple days of college. Uh, do you guys, does anyone remember that from school? Everyone needs a friend, and so they're all insecure, and they're trying to look out for other people. And you, like on a weekend, you don't know any of the people, but you're like, I'll do what you're doing so I can make some friends. And so I made those bonds in the first few weeks of, of college, and uh, I had a great first semester. It was, I, I thought it was my favorite semester of college because everything was so fresh and new, and I had all these friendships. And then I came home for winter break, and I, I struggled a little bit because I missed them, and then I went back, and I felt different from the first semester. I actually ended up feeling really alone and, and really insecure about a lot of different things in my life, and I ended up calling home to, to the church. I called Paul a lot, and I asked him, why do I feel these things? Why do I feel this way? Uh, I called my parents a lot. And I actually ended up talking to my doctor. I actually felt depressed. I, I felt so sad. And I wrote this in my journal. I said, I'm in a city of two million people on a campus of a couple thousand, and I have friends all around me, but I feel completely alone. And, and I um, definitely think this was one of the most emotionally difficult times in my life. Uh, but I feel like after reflecting on that and, and thinking back as an older adult, uh, that every single person to differing degrees at differing times can find themselves feeling in that situation, feeling alone and insecure. And uh, I think that um, it's, it's a universal thing. We, we can't avoid that. But why? Especially when we have relationships around us. Uh, if you think of the best marriage that you can think of, I can probably guarantee that one of the, um, but that both of the people in that relationship have felt at a certain time alone in that relationship or insecure in that relationship. But it's the best relationship, right? Even in friendships, you rightly put expectations on the other person. But even in those friend, best, the best of friends will disappoint each other, and, and at some point, you'll feel alone and, and discouraged. So that begs the question: Why? Why do we feel these things? even when we have uh, relationships and things that give us security. Now, I think that the answer to that question was largely answered by Paul in the last sermon. So I struggled to write this sermon a little bit because I'm like, Paul answered the question last time. So if you think back with me through this series that we've been going through, Rewired, Paul started the series talking about why can life be so good sometimes, And we thought about that, and we found the answer in the very beginning of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, it talks about how God created all things, and he created them to be good, right? And he, and he put, um, he created man and mankind, and he put into us his own image. He created us in his own image. And so we have reflections of his goodness still as people. 
And so the next week, we talked about why can life be so hard at other times, right? And it didn't take long for us to read Scripture and turn the page over and find why life is so difficult. Uh, It's because of the fall. And in Genesis 3, we find that uh, because the consequence of sin, we, we not only live in a fallen world, but we live under a curse, Remember? And it was written that the serpent would suffer under that curse, that the woman would live in pain in childbirth and have misplaced desire. Uh, man would toil and sweat for food and life, and it says that all people under that curse would eventually die. And so we live in that fallen world in which there is something wrong, and eventually all will die. The, the consequence of living in, under sin and under a fallen world is experiencing disappointment experiencing pain, and eventually even experiencing death. But, (laughs) it's cute. But as Paul referred to last week in Genesis 3, there was like this glimmer of hope in that passage. If you remember, it said that uh, the son would come from woman who would um, be bruised by by the serpent, but he would crush the serpent's head. Do you remember that? And it was this glimmer of hope that we have as Christians who have the New Testament know now when we look back and read that that's Jesus, right? That is the hope that we have And so this week, the question is essentially the same as the last, uh, why is life so disappointing? But it's more specific for you. It's more specific to me. Why do we, as individuals, feel sometimes so alone and so insecure? And those two ways in which we suffer are extremely important when trying to answer the question of why, uh, why can life be so hard sometimes? Uh, So in this passage that we're looking at here, the Apostle Paul not Paul Cronenwet, alludes very specifically to the fall in Genesis 3. I don't know if you picked up those themes, but uh, he uses the word creation five times in this passage, which refers back to the very first chapter in creation. Then he uses the analogy of childbirth, which reminds us of living under the curse in, in, in what women would face. And then he talks about the concept of the bondage to corruption, which is living under sin. Right? And so we can even think about Genesis 3. And then he finally alludes, he says five times the word hope, which makes us think about the hope in the passage in Genesis 3. And so he's referring back to the beginning, and he's reminding us of things and truths that were there. And so um, that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. And I want to pull out um, a few reminders for us to take away. Uh, now, I know that um, for the average high schooler, uh, I don't know if this is true for everyone, but if you grew up with both parents in your home and you, and you have security in your life, you can sometimes avoid facing suffering as a high schooler. I know that you face it, um, but uh, you can always come home to your family and you have security there a lot of times. But for those of you who are long past graduating, right, anyone in the room that feels long past they've graduated high school, you know as well as I do that suffering is inevitable as a human and especially when you go out in, on your own and you experience life, um, that is the case. And so why are we talking about suffering on Senior Sunday? The same reason we talked about suffering on Mother's Day, right? <laughs> suffering is inevitable as a human. We will face it. And we'll face those two specifically. We will feel alone at times and we will feel insecure at times. Uh, now, Romans is an extremely detailed and intricate book. If you've ever read it and you might have felt lost, that's okay. It's very uh, intricate, and there's a lot of cookies in this passage. 
And for the 25 minutes that we have to look at it this morning, we can't find all the chocolate chips in it. And so if you feel like I'm not able to cover the whole passage or I'm skipping over a ton of stuff, you're completely correct. I am only pulling out a few things here that I want um, to remind you of, that the scriptures remind you of. Uh, But if you experience suffering in your lifetime, if you're experiencing it even this morning, or if you think that you might in the future, uh, lean into God's word with me and, and soak these truths into your heart so that when you face them, you have truths from God's word. So I want to give you a roadmap for where we're going to go this morning. I'm going to give you three reminders. I'm going to pull them out from this passage that are here. The first one is that Paul reminds believers of the framework of their identity. The second reminder is that he reminds believers not just that they will suffer, but that they suffer with hope. And then the third reminder is that when they are unable to handle the suffering, which they will be, they're not alone. All right, so one, a reminder of identity. Two, a reminder of in the midst of suffering, there's hope. And three, a reminder that when we face suffering, we're not alone. All right, so number one, this passage reminds us of of our identity as Christians. I think it was appropriate for Paul to preface his section on suffering uh, with the topic of identity because as the passage makes clear further on, though everybody suffers, Christians suffer in a different way. But why? How? Uh, He answers that. So let's pull back into Romans chapter 8. If you're not there, pull back, uh, open up there again, starting in verse, we're going to read 15. It says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So how are Christians set apart? We are adopted, this passage says. This passage tells us that those of us who are in Christ, if you read a little bit before this, it includes all of the Trinity. If we're in Christ, we are in the Spirit, and the Spirit is in us, and the Spirit is constantly telling us that you are a child of God the Father. The entire Trinity is involved in rewiring you and shaping you to be adopted. It's about your identity. And um, this is really important because those two things, when the, the things that fall around us the fir- first are our relationships and, and the things that make us secure, and sometimes those are the things that have to go to remind Christians that their identity is in Christ and they're secure in him. It pulls our attention back to our identity. So before dealing with general suffering and, and groaning of the heart, Paul lays down the framework in something very important. In order to face suffering well as a Christian, in order to face life well as a Christian, you have to know who you belong to. So there you have it. That's the answer to the question, actually. If you don't want to listen anymore and you want to leave, you can, because that was the question for this morning. Why are we so lonely and insecure? Because when we face the realities of a broken world and when we suffer, uh, the first thing that is shaken is our relationship and our identity, and that's not a bad thing as a Christian. Right? Because when we suffer as Christians and all our other relationships and securities fall away, uh, we can fall back on what this passage reveals. And we're able to lean in and listen to the Spirit tell us, you belong to God and you are secure as his child. Now, more than this, being identified as God's child, not only are we able to hear the Father speak to us through the Spirit, but we're able to speak to God 
as our Father through the Spirit. And that's a really important thing uh, because sometimes we're unable to hear him and, and we're allowed to cry out to him for help. But as this passage talks about with the words, Abba, Father, are really important for Christians. Uh, as cliche as it is, many people say that they pray in their most desperate situations. It's like the only time that they pray. And I looked up some statistics that were done this past year by the Barna Group that talked about uh, who prays in America. And actually, more, more people than just Christians pray. A lot of Christians, even non-religious people, pray in the most desperate situations and they're crying out to something that's greater than themselves because they feel like they're out of control. And a lot of people will pray to a lot of different things. Some people will pray to a God that they don't know. Some people pray to their ancestors. Some people pray to um, just something out there, hoping that something's hearing them. But this passage is specific to what who Christians pray to. We pray to someone who identifies as our father and hears us, and that's good news. Now, um, when a parent hears a child screaming out for help, what do they do? They, they run and help. It's, it's something that's natural to them. But when they hear their child screaming out in pain and suffering, and how is it different? They, they, there's a, a heightened intensity to, to wanting to help and wanting to make things better. And that's what this passage is describing, how God sees you when you cry out for help, um, what he wants to do and how he wants to be there for you. So uh, as we move into the next verse here, um, as our identity is tied with Christ, uh, as children of God, it's also identified to Christ with our suffering. So let's read that verse real quick in verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And so this good news here and there's bad news here, right? The, the um, bad news is, is that... Um, we have to suffer. We have to suffer as Christians. It's not eliminated. But the good news is so much better. Not only do we get to be glorified, but we identify with Christ in that he suffered with us. And so when we experience pain and suffering, we know that Christ has done that. And more than that, Christ suffered for us, taking on things that we could not handle ourselves. Uh, one of my favorite books to read, this church talks about it all the time, probably to an annoying degree, is the Jesus Storybook Bible. Has anyone read that before? Uh, it is a great resource for kids, but it's a great resource as adults, too. And I read it, actually, devotionally all the time. Uh, and so the author, uh, Lloyd-Jones, paraphrases scripture, and she, th- and she tries to think really theologically about it in the way she writes. And one of um, the scenes where Jesus is on the cross, I think, is the most powerful part of the entire book. And, and as she paraphrases, this is what she writes uh, about Jesus on the cross. Uh, Jesus cried from the cross, Papa, frantically searching the sky, Papa, where are you? Don't leave me. And for the first time in the last, when Jesus spoke, nothing happened. Just a horrible, endless silence. God didn't answer, and he turned away from his boy. Tears rolled down Jesus' face, the face of the one who would wipe away every tear. In this story, I think that Lloyd-Jones captures the prayer that we pray all the time when we suffer, right? We cry out for help, and we can cry out to Abba, Father. But when Jesus cried out, Abba, Father, God closed his ears, and he sent down wrath. So that when we cry, Abba, Father, God opens his ears, hears you, and sends down mercy. 
And so do you see what suffering does here? He took the suffering that you couldn't even handle so that you can have relationship and security. Identifying with Christ does not eliminate pain. It actually guarantees it here. But when we identify as God's children, we can be assured that God hears you, he longs to send you mercy, and he cannot wait to to glorify you and to, to raise you up and to do what he had done for his son, Jesus. That's reminder number one, your identity in Christ. Number two, this passage reminds us that we will suffer, but when we suffer, we have hope. So as verse 17 moves into verse 18, you're going to see two repeated words, uh, suffering and glory, right? And it's this uh, pattern that we see that's the pattern of Christ, suffer, then glory, rejection, then acceptance, uh, uh, death, then resurrection. It's constant. And And verse 18 repeats that pattern, but it's more than that. It makes the pattern easier for us as Christians to swallow. So let's read it. Verse 18, it says this. For I consider that the sufferings of, that, of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, the root for the word consider here in the Greek has this idea of counting up or, or adding up. And we could do that with our suffering, right? If we made this long list, and it would be miles long, of all the ways in which we've suffered and put the hard ones on the top and the easier ones on the bottom and showed them to God, he would care, wouldn't he? Because he's our father. But the, what this passage is saying is that when we take that list to God and when he reveals to us some future glory, when we see how great it is, even the worst pain, even the worst suffering on that list will become so small that it will become impossible to count it. It's not even worth comparing our suffering to what we get to see in the future. And so we have to rewire our thinking as Christians about the way we suffer. It's about perspective. Uh, And so to put an analogy to this, let's say we have two people, all right? Two guys come, and and we're going to give them the same job for one year. This guy over here, we're going to have him do the job, and we say, at the end of the year, I'm going to give you $10,000. Send him on his way. Then we take the other guy over here, and we have him do the same job. It's just as hard, uh, but we're going to give him a million dollars, They don't know about that, and nor would I do this in real life. I'm a fair guy, okay? But we send this guy out for a year, and he works for um, a year to, and knowing that at the end he's going to have a million dollars. The work is really hard, all right? And the first guy, after a couple weeks, just throws down his tools, and he says, this is not worth it. And and he said, you know, he comes up, and he says, "This, this was not what I signed up for, and the work is way too hard. Whereas this guy over here is whistling while he's working, and having a great time because he knows what he gets at the end. That's the perspective that we should have as Christians, that we have something future, and the things here get smaller and smaller. But what is that for us that we're looking for? What do we have hope in? What is that million dollars? And to answer that question, we're going to follow the progression of Scripture here, uh, starting in verse 19. Let's read that together. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Now, just to point that out, creation is about non-humans, all right? And then the sons of God are Christians. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom 
of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves also. All right, so here we find that not only do people suffer, and and Christians should have hope, but that all creation, non-humans, plants, animals, oceans, planets, stars, they all know that something is wrong. Something here is corrupt, and they're not able to function in the way that they want to function in their suffering. But they suffer with expectation. In what is their perspective? What are they putting their hope in? Uh, This text reveals that they're hoping for the very thing that we as Christians should be putting our hope in. They're hoping for you to be redeemed as Christians. All creation has the perspective that we should have that they're waiting for your redemption so that they can, can re- be restored to serve you as people. They lo- creation longs for that. Why can't we? Why can't we live with that kind of hope and that expectation? So Christians uh, who also suffer need to have that perspective of future glory, and we get to face it with hope and joy. Now, the Apostle Paul writes, just if you were to flip back a page into chapter 5, he actually includes the word joy into that, which is really interesting. I think it's 5 verse 3. If you want to look, it says, We rejoice in our hope of the future glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering leads to hope, and hope will not put us to shame. Right? It didn't say that we rejoice because we're suffering as Christians, but we get to rejoice in our suffering because suffering makes us hope for something better. So why do we feel so lonely and insecure sometimes? Because we're supposed to be looking forward to something that fulfills those needs, right? It's rooted in a relationship and an identity. In the final act here, the thing that we're hoping in that is revealed in this passage is that we will be adopted and we will have restored bodies So we're lonely and insecure now, but Christians know because we are living in a fallen world, it pushes us towards a future glory. Now, you might be thinking, you know what, Devin, you don't really understand how I'm suffering, right? I suffer a lot, and I'm going through a really hard time. I can't even think about tomorrow, let alone after I die, right? And I totally think that's a fair concern, all right? We get lost in our suffering, but with this passage is so great. The third reminder here is that's okay. The third reminder is that this passage reminds us that when we are unable to handle our suffering, we are not alone. We have an advocate. So Paul, after talking about suffering and hope and reminding us that we should suffer with hope, recognizes that we don't oftentimes, or even we can't oftentimes do that. Have you guys ever heard that cliche saying that says God won't give you anything that you can't handle? It's a lie. God's going to give you a bunch of stuff that you can't handle, and he doesn't expect you to live this perfect life of hope uh, in waiting for him. He knows that you won't be able to, and that's what this passage is revealing. It's actually giving you room to feel hopeless sometimes because when you feel that way, what this passage says is that the Spirit is praying for you. Let's read that part. It says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So if you as a Christian are facing pain and suffering, loneliness, sorrow, 
the answer to this passage is not just, um, you know, buck up, Christian. Pain, pain is there, but it's going to make you stronger. You just need to trust more and have more faith. Though we should have those things, we should think on those things, uh, it actually gives room for something better. If we can't handle a situation on our own, if we can't even ask for the right things as Christians, the Spirit uh, reminds us that we're not alone and he's fighting for us. Uh, I don't know if you noticed this or not in this passage, but there's not a single command in this passage, right? There's no list of things to do. Did you see a single one? There's no quick fix. There's no uh, quick fix for suffering here because, honestly, there is no quick fix for suffering. These are just reminders of things that are already true. And um, even when we are unable to feel those things, there's a reminder here that when you are too weak to fight for yourself, especially when you're too weak to fight for yourself, that you have someone fighting for you, that, that you have the Spirit praying on your behalf when you're suffering in your, in your worst pain. And so um, what does it mean that the Spirit's doing that? Um, when, when you're suffering, when you're lost, when you're hopeless, uh, you have an advocate. Now, those are the three reminders that I have for you this morning. Those are actually the three reminders that I really long for our graduates to take with them, knowing that suffering will, will come on them at some point in time, that they would live in hope even when they face something really hard. But to come back to the original question that was posed here this morning, why did we choose out of all the ways in which we suffer to talk about insecurities and loneliness? Because the way we experience all their pain come back to those two as the deepest longings of our heart. Every single person we believe, non-Christian or Christian, experience loneliness and insecurities because they have a deep longing to be reunited to their creator. That's what we find from Genesis 3 to, to Revelation. We are waiting for something. We're waiting for that restoration to be with our creator. All of creation, along with Christians, are waiting for that restoration to be with God. And even as a non-Christian, if you feel that way, you're you're doubting, think about, have have you had something that's filled your loneliness completely, filled your insecurities completely? Because that's what God promises here. He, He gives you hope that one day that would happen, and that's what we as Christians believe. And so this, this was my story in college. It took me a long time to realize it, but I had an identity crisis there. And I, uh, in my suffering and talking to all those people, I also talked to this guy. He was my resident supervisor, and we had several meetings about why do I feel depressed? Why do I feel lonely? Why do I feel insecure? And about the third meeting, he just pauses, and he stops me from talking. He said, Devin, everything that you were looking for, you already have, and it's in Jesus. And, and now I know that that, did not take my, that didn't take my pain away. It didn't make me feel less lonely or less insecure, but that's the reminder that I needed to hear from my mind because my feelings didn't feel it. And that's the reminder that's in this passage this morning, and that's the reminder that the Spirit tells you as a believer every day if you'd only hear him say this, despite your feelings, you are not alone, and you are secure as my child. So let's lean into those truths together. And college students, lean into those truths when you face your deepest pains and sufferings as you go forward because you will face them and remind yourself of that. Let's pray. 
Father God, thank you so much for this passage that you didn't just say that we should just have more faith, but that you yourself have fought for us and that you have, um, through your son, won the war, and we are just waiting for the, the final act of that as adoptions, as, as your sons and daughters. I pray that we would have the perspective that creation has, that we would wait with eager longing, God, with, with great hope that you would restore all things, even us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.